This is a crowd podcast. Welcome to Captains with me, Sam Warburton. This is the podcast that gives you the inside story of how the most successful teams come together, grow, and ultimately win. And on today's show, I chat to a legend of English cricket, World Cup winning captain, Heather Knight. Well, to be honest, I didn't know there was an England women's cricket team until I was about 15. I think once I started to realise that that was a thing and I could do that, I was like, right, I'm going to do that, I'm going to play for England. When you win the World Cup, it's just a pure moment of elation and I've hit the absolute peak. Is this going to get any better? And you feel like you've achieved everything you can and then suddenly you're like, my goal's gone, what, what do I do next? One of the only times I've ever, yeah, just broke down and cried in, in the interview and and found it really tough. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Captains. I did actually used to play a little bit of cricket and I'm still very proud that my primary school won the Glamorgan Championship back when I was 11 years old. And I fancied myself as a little bit of a medium fast bowler and a bit of a batter. And back then I loved the generation of Alex Stewart, Darren Goff and Freddie Flintoff. And in more recent years, I've been well aware of the amazing achievements of Heather and what she's done for the women's game. Heather is great talking about the complexities of being a cricket captain, a very different role to a rugby or football captain. And like myself, she was appointed captain of the national side at a young age, so there are a lot of similarities there. If you want bonus captain's content, you can. We're calling it the huddle. Each week, you'll get an extra conversation between me and sports writer and broadcaster, Tom Fordyce. We'll be breaking down and exploring some of the leadership skills that I learned throughout my career that helped me on and off the pitch. They are life lessons that I sincerely hope we can all learn from. What you have to do to be part of the huddle is subscribe to Crowd Sports Plus on Apple. Not only will you get the extra episodes, you also get to listen to Captain's ad free. You can also listen ad free on Amazon Music. Enjoy the episode with England cricket captain Heather Knight. Heather, thank you so much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, I'm lovely, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good, thanks. And I'd actually like to know, I've watched cricket, you know, since I was a boy, but cricket captaincy seems to be very different from rugby captaincy and arguably it seems to be the hardest sport to be a captain in. Can you just tell us what would be the depth of responsibilities for a cricket captain? Because I think you have a lot more to say and influence than perhaps captains in, in other sports. Yeah, definitely. So I'd sit on the selection panel. So me, the head coach, the assistant coach and our head of high performance will get together, pick the squads for, for tours, pick the team ultimately. And then once you're on the field, that's you in charge. The, you're making all the decisions about where the fielders go, who bowls the next over, all the little tactical nuances. You, you decide alongside your bowler, obviously, that the relationship that you have with your bowlers as a cricket captain is, is so important. Probably some of the most important relationships that you have as, as captain. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely slightly different um, to other sports, I guess, but a lot of the, the skills are a little bit transferable. And I guess one of the things I found quite hard when I was first made captain, because I was quite young, I was, I was 25, there's always like that little bit of separation between you and the team because you're, well, you've, you've got more responsibility involved in a, a lot more decisions. And it was certainly something I found quite hard actually to start with. Suddenly you're made captain and everyone treats you slightly differently. Everyone's um, a bit unsure, particularly to start with, how to to approach that relationship and um, yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a different thing sort of dealing with that and, and dealing with 
being uh, go between the the coaches and the players and, and having the responsibility of picking teams and, and deciding people's fate sometimes, which which can be quite hard when also they're some of your best mates as well. So I find that crazy already because I remember I was on a um, I was on a tour once and I said to my coach, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in a selection meeting, and he said, Well, you can if you want. And I went, oh, no, 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 I can't. I can't. That's a privilege that I, I don't have, that I shouldn't have. And I, I guess that dynamic then between you and the players must be completely different. Are you sort of, in rugby, see, I, I always wanted to be like one of the team. So I always wanted to be on the same playing field. So if a captain could have a privilege like his own room or he could have a good seat on a flight, you know, you'd be like, no, no, you're just with the boys. Is it different then in cricket? So as soon as you do become captain, do you sort of become in between that layer of players and coach? Or can you still try and maintain yourself as a player? Because being involved in selection, it must be very difficult to then enter that changing room with a playing group which you're playing with, but then they must perceive you as somebody slightly higher than them. Is that a very difficult, it seems a very difficult thing to, to manage. Yeah, I agree with you on the rooms. I remember when I first was made captain, we, we shared rooms back then and I got my own room and I felt like so guilty. I almost didn't want to. I didn't want to be different. Um, I didn't want to be that person. I just wanted to, to be part of the the girls I guess and I think it's a bit of a balance like you you have to to realize as a captain you you are in that role and, and people are gonna your teammates are, are gonna treat you slightly differently but I, th- I think as I've developed as a captain and, and got used to that I've I've found a, a bit of a sweet spot in between the coaches and the players so when I first got made captain I had coach Mark Robinson who probably took a bit more responsibility and, and sort of guided me through being a young captain and, and was a bit more directive and um, when he moved away from the role and um, we had an interim coach and they wanted me to tell the players because originally it was it was Mark that, that told the players um, whether they were selected for matches or not and I had a tour playing against Pakistan in Malaysia actually where I took on that role and I just found it too hard I found it time-wise quite quite tricky like but also your relationship with the players like telling them they're not selected is, is quite tricky, although you're, you're involved in uh, the conversations about obviously if, if players play. I think it was a, a step too far for me to be the one that actually says, look, you're not playing tomorrow, these are the reasons. And I'd always still take responsibility for that. But but now it's the, the head coach that tells the players whether they're playing or not. And I'll always follow up with the players and try and explain reasons why if it's, it's bad news and, and try and look after the player in that way and, and being as honest as I can. Yeah, I, I found that a step too far and, and that was quite damaging to relationships that I had with, with players in the team. But I think you have to accept as, as captain there's always a little bit of water between you and the players and it's just something you, you kind of have to deal with whilst also obviously wanting to be part of the team and be with the girls and, and be around everyone and be on the same level as, as the rest of the team. I, I tell a bit of a white lie, actually, because one time when I was captain, I had a newborn baby. I did actually take the room on my own because I could have got some good sleep on a two-month tour. So only once I did it, that was because I was probably sleep-deprived for about nine months. On that then, I, I would go into a team meeting on, say we're playing on a Saturday, I go into a team meeting on a Tuesday, and I genuinely, even as captain, I genuinely don't know if I'm going to be picked, and captains can get dropped, as you know, sport is quite a ruthless environment. Can you still get dropped then as captain, and if not, is it difficult to stop any complacency creeping in? I think you can definitely get dropped. So I think it's a little bit different to like your situation you're describing, Sam. Like you, you're ultimately involved in the selection, so you you have to drop yourself. And I think one thing that does do it, it makes it really hard to captain when you're not doing well. And I've I've certainly oh. found that quite tricky. So when you're in a bad run of form or, or things aren't quite going right for you, I, I actually find that a lot harder to captain, especially as 
I think I'm the sort of captain that wants to lead from the front, wants to do things that, that people follow rather than, than telling 100%. Um, I'd never ask someone to do something that I wouldn't want to do. So I've certainly found that really tricky when I've gone through bad periods of form, like explaining to people why they're not playing when, when you're not performing is, is tough. But what it does do as captain, when you get that role, you actually feel really secure in your space and in your place, sorry, in the side. And I think that kind of helps you relax as a player and probably brought out the best of me. I think in terms of my stats and, and cricket's a, a very stats-based game, they're actually a lot better as captain probably because I know like I'm going to play, I'm going to be in the side, I'm going to have time to develop the into the role that I want to do for the team. So it kind of is, is a positive for me as a player. What about take drinks, lunch, tea breaks? What are those team talks like or even pre-match? Are they... Would they be motivational? Would they be technical? Would it be a bit of both? How do you know which court to strike when? What are they like, those opportunities? And is it you? Is it are there other players that you can rely on to contribute to that? Or does it feel very much the captain's responsibility? It's mainly me or the coach, to be honest. I'm not like a massive Churchillian speaker. Like I, I feel, particularly early in my captaincy, I felt quite uncomfortable actually speaking in front of the group. And that was certainly a skill that I had to develop. I think the most important thing about being a captain is you have to be authentic. People don't believe it. What you're telling them, if it's not you, they'll see right through it. So me making a, a big, massive speech before every game just wouldn't be authentic. It, it wouldn't be me. So I like to keep things very simple, very calm, very clear, and just give real basic direction if if it's needed. And I think sometimes you get a sense of when the team's in a certain place or maybe you get a vibe or feel like the team's in a certain headspace and that's when you feel like you have to do a bit more and, and give a bit more direction. And, and I think because I generally keep things quite simple, when when I do do that, I think it's a little bit more impactful and a, a bit more powerful and, and lands hopefully better. Um, I'd probably go about things more in terms of one-to-one conversations before the game, making sure players are very clear on on their role, when they might bowl, where they field, etc. And, and have those conversations, those individual relationships rather than big Churchillian speeches and big things that you see in the movies that actually I, I don't think are that effective uh, when you do get out on, on an actual sports pitch. It's reassuring for me because I was exactly the same. Then people might see a clip where you get a bit emotional or something, but that's actually the minority of the time. Most of the time, I think as captain, you have to be very composed and unflappable and you can't be in that emotional state all the time as a captain because otherwise you're just not going to be thinking clearly. So I, I'm glad that you said that because I feel very much the same. Who were the influences for you that really got the bug going that you wanted to play for England? Well, to be honest, I didn't know there was an England women's cricket team until I was about 15, which is quite sad, really, because there was and, and they were pretty successful. But I think once I started to realise that that was a thing and I could do that, I was like, right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to play for England. And I definitely looked up to Isha Gur, who's one of my best mates. So I was, I was bridesmaid uh, wedding. We played for Berkshire together. And not just then, like I'm inspired by each every day, the, the things that, that she does in the broadcast world and, and outside of obviously being a player, what she's achieved is just remarkable. But unfortunately, she, she only played for a couple more years. She retired at 26. Like Lottie, your, your first captain, I think, is such a, a big influence on you and the passion that Lottie had for the game was just, yeah, infectious. It, it certainly rubbed off. And, and obviously, the record that she had is something that speaks for itself and also someone that I've played with for for most of my career Catherine Brunt as well like I absolutely love Captain her she's pretty nuts I'd say but 
I just love her passion and love how the fact she'll run through a brick wall to play for England and, and trying to get the best out of her is something I find really interesting. But the, the resilience she has shown throughout her career, come back from two back surgeries, uh, all the setbacks she's she's had in her, in her early career to keep on playing until she's 37 at the moment is, yeah, something that is pretty inspiring. Yeah, I think you find inspiration from your teammates and the people around you all the time. So what about becoming England captain? And, and when you took over from Charlotte Edwards in 2016 and at this point you would name vice captain as well I think you've been vice captain for a few years so you would look like you were being groomed to be a successor but I still got a quote of you saying here I think it was always going to be hard for whoever followed Lottie because she's a legend and arguably the best England captain that either men's or women's team has ever had did you ever feel when stepping into the captaincy shoes a sense of imposter syndrome yeah, maybe a little bit. It was a, a really weird time, actually. So Lottie wanted to carry on playing and she, I guess, got the tap on the shoulder and the coach decided it was time to move on and appoint a new captain and, and bring quite a lot of fresh blood into the side. And I was good mates with Lottie and I felt for her and, and was disappointed that her amazing career ended in that way. But also I was really excited and just wanted to get going with the role and, and try and make it my own. I've always like enjoyed responsibility and enjoyed leading a team and, and the little intricacies that come with, with captaincy. So uh, I don't know if I'd had imposter syndrome, but I, there's definitely times when I've doubted myself. Look, like, even in recent years, I, I think that's something you deal with all the time as a sports person, let alone a captain. Like your, your little doubts, your little nagging things that sometimes come into your head. And um, I never believe anyone when they, they say they don't doubt themselves, they've got complete confidence because I just don't think that's true. So yeah, I've certainly had those periods where I doubt myself for sure. What would be your style of captain? If I said, Heather, you know, to somebody who's, say I, I've never seen you play before and you had to say, describe to me like an elevator pitch, you've got 30 seconds, what type of, what's your style? What type of captain are you? How would you, how would you sum that up? Yeah, I hate this question as well. You always get it. You <laughs> yeah. get it when you, you first get the job. It's like, oh, what sort of captain are you going to be? And I'm I like, don't know. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I got to do it. Yeah, maybe ask people I'm captaining in a, in a year or so. But I think for me, like I'm quite calm, I'm quite level and, I always want people, if they're looking at me from the outside and they don't know how the team's going or how I'm doing, I want them to see exactly the same person, whether I'm flying, scoring loads of runs, the team's winning, or if we're losing and I'm doing badly, I want people to see the same thing. Hopefully, like I'm quite a caring captain, I think. I, I want to look after the players. I want to be really honest with them, even if it's things that they don't necessarily want to hear. And that's probably something early in my captaincy I found really hard because I was trying to be too many people to to everyone and trying to keep everyone happy. And that's just not the case, I think. So, yeah, just someone that fosters the relationships with different people and adapts to the different characters in your team. And I think that's the best thing about being a captain. You've got so many different characters and personalities that you're, you're trying to get the best out of and you, you've got to find a way to flex to different people and, and use different strategies. And whether it's someone that, if you tell them what to do, it's going to be the worst thing ever um, and they're going to blow off finding a way to, to communicate and, and agree on a plan or, or someone else might actually really benefit from when they're under pressure being told, do this, I think this is the best option. So yeah, I love I love that side of it and, and hopefully, yeah, I, I try and flex to my players and, and that's the sort of captain I am and um, a successful one is, is always an answer I give because yeah, you want to win 
and and be successful and um, bring home trophies. God, I, got, I got things written down. Just as you've been speaking, you know, over the last like twenty minutes, I've got professional, introverted, humble, motivated. Like you know, all things I think are, are amazing traits to to be a captain. I don't think people probably realise they probably throw things like extroverted, loud confident like all these things which yeah they can fall into that category but a lot of captains I spoke to fall almost in this category that you're sort of falling into you've mentioned the world cup in 2017 being captain of a host nation I saw the pressure on England in the rugby world cup and we played against them when they were host nation that pressure was enormous at this point and you've sort of mentioned before when you said all eyes are on you not looking back in hindsight, because I look back in hindsight on a lot of my experiences and, and you have fond memories, but at the time, did you enjoy that experience? I did, but I remember like a week before the World Cup started, actually, I went to see our psychologist, which I probably don't do as much as I should. I only usually go when, when I need a bit of help, uh, which probably shouldn't be the case. But I was like not playing particularly well, leaning into the comp. I felt real pressure that I hadn't had the preparation I wanted. I picked up a stress fracture in my foot like a couple of months before the World Cup. So my preparation was was very different to what I wanted it to be. I just about was fit going into it, but I'd lost all form, didn't really feel like I was in form. And I just was, I guess, catastrophizing a little bit in my head about this, my first World Cup as captain. Like I really want to perform well. I want to show the team how we're going to play. Uh, I want to really to help us be in a good position and, and I just yeah massively felt the pressure and even just chatting that through and getting it off my chest was just a massive like burden off my shoulders actually just being able to talk it through like going to the comp with how I wanted to be as captain taking outcome a little bit out of it how I wanted to go about things as a player not necessarily I want to score the runs or I want to lead the team to victory it was all about how I wanted to be and, and how I was going to just try and embrace the pressure and, and embrace everything that came with playing in a home tournament and captaining in a home tournament. And there were certainly times that I didn't enjoy that were tough, but I just remember seeing so many photos of me just like having a laugh and a joke, me just smiling and just really enjoying my cricket. And, and yeah, it's a time that I look back on massively fondly. You're probably right, I've got tinted glasses on because we ultimately won the, the World Cup. But yeah, I, I think the fact that I just voiced all my anxieties about being in a home competition and, and the pressure that I felt was was something that was massively useful. And being only a year into my captaincy as well, it's something that I knew that I needed to to do down the line when I felt the pressure just to preempt getting to the place that I was in where I was just, um, yeah, just quite anxious about the tournament. God, it's quite funny, actually, I, like the, the parallels, because um, I, I was young being a captain, did it for a year, and then this um, sports psychologist was sat next to me and I just started talking to him at an after-match function and he was working for us, but I never really went to him so I wasn't sure how it worked. And he helped me and then he's ended up becoming like one of my really good friends and I still speak to him now. And it was a massive, massive help for me. We, we had a team meeting before we went out for this World Cup and I don't think the coaches realise how much sports psychologists, the effect they have on players, because I think our generation, almost the first generation to kind of really lean on them and, and voice it publicly as well without any embarrassment. So I think people think using a psychologist is a sign of weakness, or I actually think it's a sign of maturity and strength to realise that you need help and you want to better yourself. And they asked the players, they said, we took about 20 members of staff out, you know, non-players, it was just staff. And they said, we can take one more member of staff, it can be an extra video analyst, or it can be an extra, or it can be our sports psychologist. And the coach said to the players, hands up for the video analyst and maybe 10% of the room put their hand up and he looked really confused and he said okay 
sports psychologist, and about 90% of the lads put their hand up. And he sort of said, I had no idea you were using him. The sports psychologist was like, well, that shows I'm doing my job because I do it under the radar. For me, he was massive and I had the same. Um, and I, I'm glad you said the word anxiety because people use that word as if it's forbidden. But nervousness, anxiety, self-doubt is actually perfectly normal from a human behavioural perspective. Like we all go through it no matter what level you are, you're all human. What sort of things did you do with your psychologist? I would do a mixture of, you know, like as people could probably imagine, say, mental imagery, positive self-talk, and then we create things like I created this book of all the good things that I'd achieved, whether it was on the field, statistical things, whether it was fitness results, so I knew I had confidence in my own genetic ability and how, how hard I trained. I had all these things to build up, not build up my confidence, but to reinforce confidence, I guess, would be the best term. What sort of things did you do with your sports psychologist when you were in those moments of anxiety? I think the biggest thing was just taking the outcome out of it and being really clear on who I am as a player and who I am as a captain and who I want to be and, and when I'm at my best, what what am I showing? What do I look like when I'm at my best, when I'm I'm scoring runs? And that's like being quite relaxed, having that calm presence at the crease and communicating with, with my partner. And actually something we, we did before that World Cup, which was really useful for us as a team, like we had little phrases that we'd say to each other when we batted together. So obviously when, when you're batting cricket, there's two of you out there against the other team and, and you have a little chat between balls and a little chat at the end of the over and... Um, what we had was like a cue sheet of what we needed to say to those batters in certain situation. It was really simple, like things like to Nat Siver when she came in, I'd say, right, strong shots down the ground. And they were just like little cue things that would kind of click us into gear and as batters try and get us in the best place. A lot of the stuff I did with the psychologist was around how I'd communicate with my bowlers when we're obviously out there, we're playing in big matches, we're under pressure how I would flex my style to to try and get the best out of them and, and try and meet their personality and and just little keywords and little phrases that that I could use was was really useful and I think doing that work it just allowed me to go out and play and just know that I'd done all the work I'd known exactly how I wanted to do things know what process I'm going to go through and then if things don't work out if the outcome's not what I want like at least I've done everything I can and I can almost be at peace with that if that makes sense so yeah, it's so useful just to sometimes just voice your thoughts and just have someone to listen and just to, to guide you down slightly more positive thought processes than you're, you're probably going through when you're anxious and you're nervous and you're probably thinking a bit more negatively. Welcome back to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, and my guest, England cricket captain, Heather Knight. When I've been asked what's the hardest thing about captaincy, and I, I only ask this because you, you've sort of just said it then about um, when you were discussing your own form, when you want to see the psychologist, I thought one of the hardest things about captaincy, you, you have extra duties, whether it's press or commercial stuff. But I found the hardest thing was maintaining the, the high level of performance that's expected. Because if you come, if you have one game where you're below par, then it seems that the guillotine comes down. How hard do you find that balance between prepping the team but still being selfish and making sure that your personal performance still has to be at the top level, as you said, because you lead by example? Yeah, hard, definitely. I think what I've learned is that I almost have to separate me as a player to me as a captain and there is so much more stuff you have to do and 
and little things that you almost don't want to do, like sponsor stuff and and sometimes press and things like that, and things that you do want to do, but take a bit more time, like little conversations, making sure everyone's as clear on plans and and things like that, and checking the people that aren't playing are okay and um, have like a clear plan of of how they're going to get back in the team, things like that. So yeah, I think what I have found is that when I'm in the nets, like that's when I'm Heather the player, Heather the batter, when I focus on my own game and if someone, maybe one of the coaches asked me, what do you think about this? Maybe this person isn't doing so well or this person uh, might need a chat. I'm quite black and white on like, let's sort this later. This is me concentrating on my own game, getting my, my skill level right. Like I said, I, I think the responsibility, I really enjoy it, but there's certainly been times where I found it's almost got a bit too much and, and that extra responsibilities have impacted my own game a little bit and I think that's where you need to use the people around you and your your coaches to try and help you out to try and take a little bit of the pressure off that to maybe do some of those little jobs that that you want to do but realize that you need a bit more time a bit more headspace to get back to being at your best and and being refreshed and and recharged and um, I certainly find at end of tours I'm absolutely knackered like a we we play (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a bit different for rugby. We go away for for sort of a month, five weeks, and you're you're living out of each other's pockets and playing lots of games overseas often. And yeah, you just get to the end of it, and you, you're just absolutely knackered and need to get away and and refresh. Sometimes the last thing you want to do is is be a captain. You you just want to sink back into the ranks and um, relax and, and not have all those extra jobs. Go for a coffee, maybe uh, go out for dinner rather than stay behind and, and do some of the other stuff. To be a captain to lift. The World Cup. Have you managed to find words to sort of describe how that must feel? Because I, I, I try and imagine what it must be like to sort of put your hands on the silver and actually lift it up overhead, knowing that you're literally the single best team in the world and you're captain for that. How have you managed to find words to describe that yet? Oh, definitely not. I think like you kind of soak it all in, and it's just that when you win the World Cup, it's just a pure moment of elation and and just happiness and just being able to share that with your teammates and, and your wider group of staff is just, yeah, such an unbelievable feeling. And I think also it's quite hard because you, you kind of, you have an amazing day at Lords. you lift the World Cup, you wake up the next day, you're all a bit hungover and you, you head to Lords and, and do a few photo shoots with kids, <laughs> do a load of media. And then you go home and, and you're like, oh, that's it. Like, yeah. like how amazing has the last month been? But also like, what do I do now? I've, I've hit the absolute peak is this going to get any better? And, and I think that's quite a, a hard thing to deal with as well. Like when you you feel like you've achieved everything you can and then suddenly you're, you're like, Why, my goal's gone, what, what do I do next? And we were straight into another cricket tournament about a week later. The thing with cricket is just so relentless, the different tournaments you go into. So I don't think you really have a chance to reflect and take things in and really enjoy them. I think you you kind of go on to the next thing and... Yeah, hopefully it's something that I, I do when I retire and um, I look back and uh, go through that day and, and what happened and, and what we achieved. But I think who I am as a person as well, I'm always like, right, what's next? How do I get better? How does the team get better? And I'm quite goal-orientated towards the next thing and, and that's what drives me, I guess, and, and find it quite hard if that goal disappears. So I think that's why I was kind of maybe a bit deflated the, the few days after the World Cup finished and a little bit lost with, with what the direction of myself and, and the team was going to go next. How did you celebrate? <laughs> you said hungover. Well, what was that like? Not very good for me, actually. So I had a bit of dodgy chicken at Lord's after oh, the match. Nightmare. So I had two beers. That was it. 
and I was projectile vomiting on, uh, I think it was a Jaguar opposite uh, Lords. It's quite a posh part of London, St John's Wood. And, um, <laughs> I've been there, yeah. Yeah, I'd only had yeah. a couple of beers and, and was being sick and, and had to go and be put to bed, uh, spewing my guts out from food poisoning. So yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a shame, unfortunately. <laughs> I can remember that. Always blame the food if you end up in a bad hangover. <laughs> I want to take it back a bit now because I read that when you were younger, you used to have to play a men's sides and you'd often get comments. So you had a bit of adversity that you had to overcome. Do you think that those things help build your resilience and shape the player and leader that you are? Hugely. And having an older brother that wants to beat you at everything and, and losing all the time probably gives you quite a lot of <laughs> resilience, I think, as well. But yeah, certainly playing men's cricket, I think, hugely helped me. Like, I loved it, but at times it was tough. I remember getting asked, do you do the men's ironing after you finish playing the match and, and things like being called sweetheart all day? And I grew up in Devon, so... Um, we're um, not forward thinking at the best of times, so particularly not when I was growing up. How did you react to that? What did you say? Oh, I was I was pretty shy as a kid, actually, so I was kind of like a bit taken aback and, and kind of laughed it off. But I remember thinking, I'm going to get runs today. I'm going to prove this idiot wrong and I'm going to... Do you talking with the bat? Make him look silly. And yeah. he actually came up and apologised afterwards. I, got, I think I got 50-odd. And it certainly instilled in me a, a desire to prove people wrong and to deal with pressure because I think when you turn up you're, you're the only girl in a team everyone's like oh there's a girl playing this is this is new or this is it's weird and it's all eyes on you and, and I didn't want to be that person that was all eyes on me when I was a teenager for sure so I think it lets you deal with the or allowed me to develop skills to deal with the pressure of having eyes on you and if you don't do well it's like oh there's she's just there as a token girl she's not good enough so I started to develop the, the attributes to be able to deal with pressure and, and people looking at you and, and wanting to prove yourself, I think, is a, a trait particularly that I've shown throughout my career and, and something that, that I probably still really enjoy doing is, is proving people wrong. Oh, I, lo- I love that. There was, um, when I was playing once, I mean, I, I'd listened to it for a little bit and so I can't remember what source it was from, but somebody said, oh, proving people wrong shouldn't be a motivation. And this person probably wasn't from anyone of standing. I remember thinking, oh, because I, I love proving people wrong. As I got older, I suddenly realised, no, I love proving people wrong. That's like a fantastic motivation to have because the one thing I think you have to accept as a captain or a high-profile sports person like yourself is you're never, ever going to please everyone. And that's where this world of social media has made us learn the hard way. You can't please everyone. It's impossible. So, But proving people wrong is so, so sweet. I, I want to go into a little exercise now. And um, when I was captain... I had what was called my captain's compass. And it was with the sports psychologist that I used. And he said to me in my early days of being captain, right, because I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what to do. I need some guidance. He said, okay, we're going to create this compass and you need to tell me the four things, the four most important things that you need to demonstrate daily to be a, a good captain. Now, there's no right or wrong for this because it would just be your compass. But if you had to say to me, what do you think now in your in your time, your experience now, what would be the four most important things you need to be, a, not any captain, for, for Heather Knight to be a good captain, what four things would those be? Oh, good question. I would say be authentic, be myself yeah, would be one. one. Enjoyment, like I'm at my best when I'm lots of energy, giving other people energy as well, I'm enjoying the situation, enjoying, even if it's a, a tough game and you're under pressure, enjoying 
and relishing the pressure that you're under and, and having the power to be able to influence that moment, I think is really important and, and enjoy it. So that would be my second. I think resilience, like, like we talked about, being able to yeah. deal with different things and, and stay quite level, whether you're going well or whether you're going badly. And I think the final one would be like building relationships and communicating with, with the people around you. When I'm at my best, I feel like I'm doing stuff. And when I'm at my worst, actually, I feel like I, I can't influence the situation. I can't have a plan about how to, to make things better. So when I am unsure about how to go about things, what the best course of action is, I, I try and write down a few action points that I can do and that I can influence to try and help me out. Those would be my four. Oh, I love the enjoyment bit. And there were certain people in my career. And I sort of just wrote down when you said about enjoying the high pressure moments, a lot of it is surprised actually how many people can't do that. And that's why I think it's a skill that, you know, you're obviously able to do that from all the experiences that you've gone through. You mentioned about captaincy and, and having friends and there must be some hard conversations to have, you know, when you're given a vice captain or, or a captaincy role. What are perhaps some of the, the hardest conversations that you've had to have as captain, which you look back now and I think they're great experiences to go through because having a hard conversation is, well, much easier said than done and much harder to actually do. What would be some of the hardest conversations that you've had to have as captain? Because I imagine you're playing with a lot of friends and things. Yeah, so anytime a player is, is maybe dropped from a team or, or dropped from a squad, it's really difficult, particularly if that player maybe has played for a long time or um, isn't expecting it. So... They're certainly like the hardest because you, you feel the disappointment and I've been dropped before. And I think going through that experience of, of not being selected like, has actually really helped me have empathy for people in that situation. And the things that, that I heard that were useful when I got dropped, I, I try to, to do as much as I can when I have those conversations. So like being really honest and, and being really clear in, in why something has happened, not trying to to polish it or or soften the blow too much by just not being honest, I think, and, and not being clear about what the reasons are. And the biggest thing was that helped me was, right, what do I need to do? What's my actions? How am I going to get back in the team? So I always try and give players, when I do have that conversation, like what we need from them or what they need to do better to try and get their place back. But they're, they're just horrible. Like They're, they're not nice. Like you're, you're breaking someone's dreams or ambitions and it's just not at all what they want to hear but unfortunately there's only 11 people that can play in the team at, at a time there's usually 15 in a squad and people that are going to miss out on that squad so um yeah honesty I think is is the key thing in those situations there's lots of ups and downs as captain and we, we've mentioned the elation of the world cup in 2017 how did you cope with that final against Australia after 2022 and where does it rank in your career is it seen as a positive or have you put it as a negative Oh, the, the runners-up medal went straight in a draw, never to be seen again really? uh, with others, actually. Uh, the way we started the tournament, making the final, was a huge achievement. We lost the first three games. We're staring down the barrel of being knocked out and we managed to turn it around. Scrape through the group stages, have a brilliant performance against South Africa in the semi-final. Um, and then we just got blown away a little bit by Australia. And to be honest, at, at that point, I, was, I just had little left like we'd had a, a really tough Ashes series before the World Cup which we lost badly and I just had nothing in the tank really so I didn't like I was obviously really disappointed but I didn't feel the disappointment as strongly I think I think the probably one of the biggest disappointments was, was that Ashes series and there was a a really close test match where I scored 100 and it went down to the final hour we needed 
not too many runs and they needed not too many wickets and it was just the most like amazing game I've ever been involved in but the most like dreadful also to watch as it as it unfolded and we ended up drawing the match we were nine down needing about six runs I think and just the fact that we didn't win that game a game that I think we should have won and would have swung the momentum of the whole Ashes series like I was just absolutely gutted it's probably one of the only times I've ever broken down on an interview like I'm known for being pretty calm and pretty level with my emotions but I remember being interviewed by a good friend in the media actually on BBC TMS and just yeah just broke down and cried in in the interview and and found it really tough so yeah that was probably one of the most disappointing parts of my career because as a captain I've never won an Ashes series I've won a World Cup but I've never won an Ashes series and I'd I'd put quite a lot I think on that particular series and then wanted to go to Australia felt like it was an amazing chance for us and uh, if we'd won that Ashes test match I generally think we would have won the Ashes Um, but after that we kind of didn't play particularly well and, and lost a a lot of momentum so yeah there's there's different things I think that I would see as disappointing compared to what people would look in and and think from the outside in those moments who are the people you turn to for a bit of support I think just being able to get away from the game is is really important I've got a a really good group of friends outside of the game uh, which I really appreciate my my partner and my family as well that just I I can not talk cricket to and, and I think that's really important and Actually, looking back on the last two years where we've been in COVID bubbles, so with cricket, we've spent a lot of time under restrictions, not being able to get away, not being able to go home, see your family, not being able to have your partner on tour with you, things like that. And and I found that actually a lot tougher with captaincy and a lot harder to let things go. Because at one point in, in 2020, we were living at the Travel Lodge at the Derby Cricket Ground. So we were there for two weeks playing a series against the West Indies and you literally open your curtains and there's a cricket field. Uh, It was completely locked down. So if you want to go for a walk, you just have to do laps of the cricket field. And it was the most weirdest sci-fi experience, but also reminded me that like it's so vital to to my captaincy and my cricket just to be able to get away and compartmentalise a little bit that side of my life with um, who I am as a person as well. Definitely earlier in my captaincy career, I found it really hard to let go. And I think you do feel it so much stronger as a captain, whether you win or whether you lose, because you feel like you're in charge of so many decisions on the cricket field. You feel almost responsible. And I think I've learned to realise that that's not always the case. Sometimes things that you just can't do, you can't control. When when that does happen, what techniques or, or what things do you do to escape cricket? I've gotten into road biking a lot oh, over nice. the last five years. So it's not always the best recovery if you had a tough game but yeah I love getting out on the road bike with my partner Tim and and just exploring the hills of Bristol and Bath and just yeah it lets me think of other things and then just have that pure like enjoyment I think and just hanging out with with people that I love and and people that I enjoy spending time with and and just often chatting about things that isn't cricket is is just just great I love music as well I love going to gigs so being able to, to put some music on and uh, just switch off and sometimes get on the bike. Definitely lets me escape. What music are you into? I'm just wondering. I'm just fascinated to see what, what would you listen to? What sort of gigs and music do you like? Probably like indie rock, so Stereophonics. Welsh, like it. Falls, Oasis. Yeah, I love Stereophonics. Best thing to come out of Wales for a long time. <laughs> After myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> um, what bit of advice would you give... Uh, an amateur or, or say a Sunday league captain maybe not someone at the elite level that you're at now but if somebody who's playing cricket and they want to be a captain they're currently at the the sort of amateur level what advice would you give them? I would say whatever you 
do never be afraid to make decisions. Like if you ever shy away from decisions, that's when it just doesn't work. Even if you make a decision that's a mistake, but you commit to it, you throw everything into it and maybe you review afterwards that it was maybe the wrong decision. I think that's way better than just not making a decision. You have to be decisive. You have to show that that you're making decisions and you're having an impact, if that makes sense. And just trusting yourself with it as well. I think that's really important. Decide what you're going to do. Throw yourself, throw everything into it and and trust that you'll make the right decision. When you look at what you've done, you've pretty much, you've pioneered, you know, the women's game into what it is now. To be a winning World Cup captain, to go through the adversity that you've gone through, whether it's injury and losing finals, but to bounce back and do it again. I think you've been a... An inspiration. You've been probably that desperate need of inspiration for some girls around the country who are looking for a female role model. So thank you so much for sharing the time and your insights. It's genuinely been fascinating and uh, all the best for, for the rest of your career. Thanks, Heather. Oh, lovely. Thanks, Sam. Thanks again to Heather for her time. She was recovering from injury when we caught up, but it is great to see her back and ready to lead England at the upcoming T20 World Cup. I still find it fascinating that the cricket captain has that much influence in team selection. And playing men's cricket growing up, it shows that there are many different paths to get to the top of your field, some easier than others. For someone who has pioneered the growth of women's cricket in this country, I think it is fair to say that she has proved all the doubters wrong. And as we spoke about, I love proving people wrong too. I would love it if you got in touch with any thoughts, questions or suggestions for future guests and you can do that by emailing captains at crowdnetwork.co.uk or using the hashtag captainspod on social media. You can also find us on LinkedIn by searching Captains with Sam Warburton. If you fancy another podcast to listen to from the world of sport, go and check out the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. And it's not just because I've appeared as a guest on it, or because he's Welsh, or because I went to the same school as him. It's because he's got an incredible insight from behind the scenes. If you're into pro cycling, they've got every big guest you can imagine from that world. You can't miss it. Rivals chatting like mates, and it's a huge club too. You can even jump on your bike and join them for a virtual ride every week, and I might even see you there. Just go and search for the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Make sure you listen to episode three of Captains, where my guest is Ryder Cup winner, Paul McGinley. There are some really great leadership tips in there and some good anecdotes too. Even if you're not an avid golf fan, he is well worth listening to. That is available now. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.